0: It's Jim, it's the World of Bonds, it's Monday the 16th of October 2023, this is for professional investors only, never ever investment advice, and this is your Uncle Jim's World of Bonds Credit Special Part 1. Um, so today the focus is on corporate bonds, a uh, bit of the bond market. So I must confess, I've neglected a bit of late on the podcast and mainly that's because all the action has seemingly been around what's been going on in government bond markets the big sell off in yields that we've seen um both last year and this year accelerating over the summer out to 5% at the, the long end in the UK US uh, and so on so it's all been about government bonds and inflation this year but credit has to be fair been slightly dull in terms of price action lately. Although I guess the first half of 2023, we did see that US banking crisis in part triggered by higher US Treasury bond yields and the impact that had on the regional banks. So talking about uh, Silicon Valley Bank and other regional banks seeing credit events. Uh, We also saw a COCO crisis. COCOs, those uh, 81 bonds issued by Credit Suisse, um, took big losses as the Swiss regulator surprised markets around the sequencing of investor losses. I think that most people were surprised that they, uh, they stuck to the letter of the law there, uh, which is slightly different to what the European and UK regulators would have done in a similar situation, but losses taken for 81 investors uh, there. And thinking about other areas where there's some credit stress this year, course there's been issues in commercial property, partly the kind of working from home trend, the uh, uh, shopping centres as well haven't done uh, very well and I guess residential property in China uh, has also been a hot spot. Um, I would say if there's any kind of consensus in global markets at the moment, it's to say that US commercial real estate is the next shoe to drop in global markets, which probably means it won't be. But that's another area where we are seeing some distress and deteriorating credit metrics in in a more significant way. I also throw in to finish in terms of credit events that haven't really moved the overall credit market Casino, which is, of course, the French uh, supermarket chain that's moved into the distressed credit mix too. And I would note that, um, you know, when we're talking about credit, it's different jurisdictions have different rules. And in particular, France has a unique bankruptcy status called Safeguard, um, which prioritizes employees over creditors and, and can have a big impact on recovery values, recovery values, meaning how much money does a bondholder get back in a bankruptcy event. And so, you know, that's a a good place to start really today. While I'm talking about recoveries, let's just note that generally the market uses an assumption that a typical bondholder will get back 40 cents in the dollar if a company goes bust in investment grade and around 30 cents in the dollar in a high yield bond. So that's the kind of assumed recovery rates 40% IG 30% um, high yield that's based on kind of historical average recoveries and let's also remind ourselves on the order of payback in default and it's determined by kind of stack at the top of the stack um, and getting paid back first is your friendly government so taxes and other debts to the sovereign must get paid back first after that generally secured creditors so if you're if you've made a loan against a factory a property some equipment some intellectual assets etc you'll probably get a very high recovery rate because someone will buy that factory or the um, you know the lathes or whatever it may be And you'll get back more, um, you know, just as a bank takes security over your house and generally will get back most of the money if you default on your mortgage. After that, you get unsecured creditors, including unsecured bondholders and generally employees and and, uh, people who have made deliveries of goods uh, to the company. So unsecured. And then finally, if there's anything left, it goes to equity investors. Um, and theoretically, equity investors get high returns for taking the risk of being last in the stack, last in the queue if uh, something goes wrong. And typically, they would get back very little in the event of default, and theoretically, they should usually get zero. So a bond investor should get back everything ahead of the equity investor, but typically, equity does get a small payment uh, a tiny bit of value leaks from bond investors down to equity to encourage them to make the bankruptcy go smoothly. Um, they are the owners of the company; they still have blocking powers over decision making within the company. And uh, so, if you want this to go smoothly, and uh, you know you don't want to see further uh, losses or value leach away from your company, then having equity on side to help um, you know this go smoothly might result in you giving them some sort of small payment. And I mentioned returns, you can see that the higher up the stack you are, the safer you are and the lower your prospective returns. So bond yields should be lower than equity returns over a long period of, of time and less volatile um, asset pricing too. So let's start with credit special, this credit special by looking at what implied uh, returns are on corporate bonds relative to government bonds. Um, Government bonds are so-called risk-free assets, although, uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it doesn't feel like it this year or indeed last year. So credit spreads on aggregate are tighter than they were a year ago, although note that because government bonds have sold off so much, 10, 20% or so. All in yields, the yields that corporates face when borrowing have gone up substantially despite tighter spreads over the year. So although spreads have come in, uh, the cost of borrowing for corporates has gone up a lot. So in terms of those spreads, we look at the US investment grade market, the dollar market spreads are 127 basis points, so about one and a quarter percent. Euros, 158. Sterling, 163. And over one-year time horizon, dollar bonds on aggregate are 44 basis points lower in spread, euro 68 basis points lower in spread, and sterling 93 basis points lower in spread. And you can see that both euros and sterling are wider than dollar markets um, and have come in a lot more over the last year and I think that the starting point from where we are a year ago is quite important when you look at those numbers so remember in Europe lots of fears over Ukraine the war had been going for a few months and we were worried about uh, well Europe was worried about energy supplies over the winter at this point point. Um, and other impacts, contagion, spreading of that war, etc., and what it might do for the eurozone economy. So that led to widening. That's you know been reversed by more than the the US market. So euros have done relatively well over the last year because some of those fears dissipated. We had a warm winter, etc. And in the UK, obviously, roughly a year ago, right now was Trussonomics and the big LDI sell-off in sterling assets. So the the, the stronger performance from sterling and euros is partly a kind of where we were a year ago now. They still remain a little bit wider than the US. And I think it's important to note that we also have compositional effects here. So we're not looking at exactly the same basket of companies in the three different currency indices. Of course, there will be some crossover. I mean, Barclays, for instance, uh, will borrow in all three currencies and be in all three of those indices. And there might be sectoral Differences: more industrial companies in Europe, more consumer companies in the U.S. Fracking industry in the U.S. high di- high yield market, for instance, is a um, you know bigger section of that market. So there will be a different composition in terms of credit quality and industries. So you can't compare like with like, but uh, you know it's, it, it gives you a rough guide as to what's been going on. In the last month, though, as geopolitical tensions have risen again. Um, and some of the economic data appears to be signalling a topping out of the global economy, spreads have widened somewhat, not very much. We're talking three to eight basis points at the investment grade index level, except in high yield where the moves are a bit stronger. So let's think about dollar high yield. That spread um, is around about 430 basis points. These are sub investment grade bonds. also known as junk bonds, speculative grade bonds. So they're about 45 basis points wider um, in the last month and similar move in euros. Although again, that spread level in euros is a bit wider than the US. So four, six, eight basis points. It's also noteworthy to see a disconnect between what's going on in the cash bond market, high physical corporate bonds that go into uh, the corporate bond index And the derivatives market, these are credit default swaps. um, And generally, credit default swaps indices are underperforming at the moment, i.e. they're widening by more than cash bonds. So in the last month, dollar um, CDS index for investment grades up about 14 basis points, similar in euros and high yield up 74 basis points in dollars, 59 in euros. And perhaps this indicates a desire from investors to buy some protection or insurance against their physical holdings. So implying a bit of nervousness. The price of insurance is going up at the moment, but people still want to hang on to their physical bonds. The difference between the physical corporate bond spread and the CDS credit default swap market is known as the basis. And that that can vary over time in both directions, really, based on the supply and demand for corporate bonds compared to the supply and demand of insurance uh, and hedging. So in short, it's been a strong one year performance in part Help by the timing, I guess, of the one-year numbers. Um, Trustonomics mini-budget a year ago, some stabilisation of uh, economies after the in- initial panic about the Ukraine war. But we have seen stabilisation over the past three months in spreads and then a bit of weakness over the past few weeks. So next, though, the big question is, are the current levels of spreads enough to compensate an investor for defaults in corporates? Or if I wanted to invest in bonds, should I take nearly zero credit risk and buy a gilt or a US treasury bond instead? And we can argue uh, on another day about whether they really do have zero credit risk. I think the answer is probably yes. Both those uh, countries can print their own currency and therefore uh, should never have to go bust. Different question maybe for Italy. We've seen some widening there. Italy can't print unilaterally its own currency. So you might say there is some credit risk in some of the, the Eurozone economies because they don't have that ability of seniorage. How did I say that? It's not said like that. Uh, but anyway, print, money printing. Um, so uh, they can't do that. Gilts and treasuries can. So it should be nearly zero credit risk. But even with that, their credit ratings can and probably will still be downgraded over time. And, you know, Moody's and Standard Poor's have warned about that. So how do you determine whether you're getting paid enough relative to that zero credit risk government bond? Well, what you can do is you can take the spread. We talked about those spreads earlier, one and a quarter percent dollars, one and a half percent euros <clears throat> and ask whether it's juicy enough. To compensate you for the losses you expect to occur. And you would be irrational not to expect some level of defaults, especially at the lower end of investment grade and once you get into high yield. You know, defaults are a function of those bits of markets. In fact, I um, shake my head when I hear investors sometimes um, say, Oh, we've never had a default in my bond fund, in this bond fund, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I think that doesn't imply investment greatness uh, quite the opposite. Um, it does imply that they've sold their distressed bonds before the official moment of default, which usually comes months, even years, after the company plainly is in difficulty and plainly in distress. So markets will quickly mark down bond prices to 10 20 cents in the dollar and that will flush out this kind of desperate sort of seller who wants to say they've never had a default um, allowing hedge funds or distressed debt investors longer term corporate bond investors uh, those like us with restructuring teams and people who can go and do the legal work and sit on restructuring committees etc and that can you know it's those people that will drive that value back up towards 40 cents in the dollar, higher, even 100% in some cases. So, um, you know, defaults will happen, you need to be well diversified, uh, so you don't land on a selection of landmines. But the basic maths you could do is to say, well, if the market's got that spread of 158 basis points for euro investment grade over government bonds, then I can afford to experience credit losses of About one and a half percent 150 odd basis points to credit events before I would have done better being in a government bond over the course of a year and add to that remember I said recovery rates are 40% on average for investment grade I'm going to call it 50% for my mental arithmetic uh, skills then assuming that the default rate is say 3% over the course of the year I'll, I'll actually going to recover half that three percent, that takes it down to only loss of one and a half percent, that makes me uh, bang on my credit spread. So um, I'm still even versus a German Bund, for instance, even on a three percent default rate, given a fifty percent recovery rate and uh, you, you know um, actual losses of one and a half percent, given where spreads are so then i can look and say well actually is three percent a likely default rate this year for euro investment grade and the answer is probably no it looks high uh, compared to history and expectations so the biggest secret of corporate bond managers is that this is almost always the case you almost always get overcompensated uh, for defaults uh, in credit and so if you are well diversified and you're you're holding on for a long time through um, emotional, irrational spikes and troughs of of bond pricing, then you should do well, even accounting for bad years like 2001 when the tech bubble burst and all those uh, cable TV company high yield bonds went bust, or the GFC when the banks all got into difficulty. So when I look at all the credit rating buckets at the moment from say AA, the highest investment grade ratings, there aren't really many AAAs left in investment grade, there aren't all that many AAs to be honest, down to the lowest rating for um, a surviving high yield bond, triple C rated. Um, I can see what the expected cumulative default rates implied by spreads are, um, and I can assume 40% investment grade recovery rate and 30% high yield one. And say so over the next five years, what um, what is being priced in, by the current levels of spreads. And so uh, I'm going to go through the ratings buckets and say over the next five years, the market is saying that double A rated bonds are going to experience accumulative losses of 6%, uh, default rates, sorry, single A's 9%, triple B's 13%, double B's 20 single B's 28 and triple C's 53%. So it's saying it's basically a flip of a coin when you're investing in a triple c rated bond whether there's a default or not over the next five years and then we can look at what historical average default rates have been over uh, five year periods and so for double a's it's almost at zero for single a's it's less than one percent or roughly one percent triple B's 2%, triple B's starts to ramp up. So this isn't a linear scale. You'll see that it's exponential and especially once you get past investment grade into world of sub investment grade it goes exponential. So triple B's 2%, triple B's 7%, single B's 19%, triple C's 52%. But you can see that in given the price of current spreads the market is pricing in multiples of uh historical averages with the exception of those triple c's where it's in line and then you can look at well that's on average Whatever i expect it to be worse than average at the moment i'll look at um 2008 2009 global financial crisis what were default rates there well for triple b's they were 13 percent um so, we're pricing in something in line with the worst ever period. Uh, single B's 40%, triple C's 68%. So, I think what we're seeing is that for investment grade, we're pricing in for most categories of investment grade something worse than the worst that's happened. For triple C's, roughly in line with it. But when you get down into the world of high yield, you're not pricing in worst case scenarios there, which may or may not be the right thing to do, but may make you think actually investment grade looks a better bet right now than, than, than high yield. But um, up to you to take those calls. The things, though, that I think you need to take note of is that what we're looking at here is only compensation for default risk. This only works if you're a buy-and-hold investor, or uh, you know, a well-diversified investor who's not going to have to sell these things because your LDI manager has phoned you up and say you need to raise some cash, or you know, you're you're a mutual fund investor and your clients want the money back, etc. And so, a lot of what you get paid for in credit is not just about default risk; it's about liquidity risk. So you know you need to get paid something to compensate you for the fact that uh, there are air pockets in corporate bonds where you know it's not like a stop. There is no stock market in corporate bonds. You have to phone up an investment bank and see if they fancy buying it off you. And there will be times where they'll say, well. Generally, the thing that happens is their trader has gone to the toilet and can't answer the phone. Sorry, I don't know when he'll be back. Best you try someone else. So a trader in the toilet is um, the risk you take when you buy a a corporate bond. And it's not just about liquidity risk. The other thing that might change is... Um, about recovery rates. So um, recovery rates could be higher or lower than those 40 cents, 30 cents assumptions that we have. And some people are predicting that weak lending standards in recent years, especially in the US leveraged loan market, might result in lower aggregate recoveries than we've seen historically. So if 40 is actually 20 and 30 is actually 10, then uh, that changes your maths and makes a lot of those rating categories a lot less attractive in terms of the spreads that you're getting. And covenant protection is really important for bond investors. Um, what can manage- management of these companies do that might be disadvantage- disadvantageous for lenders um, like us as uh, corporate bond investors, so it could do things like pay themselves high dividends, high you know coupons coming out to sorry high you know equity payments, share buybacks, etc. They can take on excess borrowing, and, and covenants are designed to protect bond investors from um, management doing stuff like this. But there has been a rise of what's called Cov light covenant light bonds and loans in the US markets for a while now and um, that can mean uh, as too much money chased yield in a low interest rate environment that lending standards were weaker and that can result in poor outcomes for bond investors in the event of uh, a default and they might find the company the equity steals more money away from you if you're structurally subordinate. That's one for another day. So that's what's in the price at the moment. Uh, it looks reasonable value compared to historical defaults, worst case defaults, as I say, with the with the caveat that high yield doesn't look quite as good as investment grade. But what about fundamentals? How are corporates doing? Um, I am running out of time, so I won't go on forever, but, th- but this will have to be a canter therefore. Companies have been doing fine, and that's partly because they've locked in borrowing at low levels, post the GFC, COVID, uh, but things are deteriorating and somewhat starting to look a bit stretched on that front. So in in August, S&P, one of the two big credit rating agencies, Moody's being the other, other, uh, reported the highest number of new global defaults since 2009. So 16 global defaults in uh, August. On average, in August, there are under nine defaults and there are now 107 defaults for the year. S&P expects sub-investment grade defaults to hit 4.5% in the US next year, quarter percent in Europe by the middle of next year too. Bankruptcy filings are up dramatically since the Fed started hiking uh, in the first quarter of 2022. So they're up two and a half times and rising. And we are seeing weakness in sectors like consumer discretionary, healthcare and industrials, mainly in the, the former though, you know media and entertainment seeing uh, particularly high uh, distress at the moment. The big driver in this credit metric deterioration is really around interest bills, as you would expect. So interest cover is a metric that measures the earnings of a company compared to how much is going out the door to service its debt. Um, earnings we measure it by something called EBITDA earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization Um, a bit of an accounting uh, feast for an accountant if uh, you know it is a number that is not particularly pure lots of you know can be manipulated by companies somewhat so um, some people prefer to look at pure cash or pure revenues and other measures but nevertheless it it is kind of an industry standard I remember when rates were down near at zero in Covid that EBITDA to interest uh, payment ratio was up at 16% really very 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 healthy Um, it was easy to service debt it's now fallen back down quite aggressively to around 12 times and is still heading downwards The, the post global financial crisis low Was at 10 and three quarter times uh, EBITDA to interest payments. Barclays research um, that I'm reading just now shows that to preserve cash, many corporates have ditched their buyback schemes for shares. So, share buybacks was a way that they were kind of losing cash. They now want to preserve cash. So, lower uh, buyback activity from a number of companies also cutting dividends in a number of cases and um, cutting capex which isn't necessarily good news in the long term you know if you're cutting how much you spend on capex your future growth is going to be lower capital expenditure uh, either to replace worn out equipment or to invest in new technologies including ai robotics etc if you're not doing that anymore uh, that might bode badly for the future so those those things are down Uh, The other canary in the coal mine for credit investors that always gets attention is the so-called maturity wall. Um, Maturity wall is a kind of uh, aggregate measure of when companies are going to run out of money. When do their bonds all mature and when do they need to roll over that debt? And when you historically get a concentration of debt rollovers in a particular period. And normally this will be because companies all borrowed at the same time five years previously or three years previously. Um, So if companies all borrow a lot at the same time, that debt all matures at the same time. And and the happy days when they all borrowed at the same time, you've got to hope that there's still that demand for bonds uh, when these bonds mature, because otherwise you're all going to be scrabbling over the same, you know, the same investors who may or may not want to put their money back into you again. So credit investors are currently worrying a little bit, especially for high yield markets about 2025, 2026. And of course, a smart CFO in any of those companies will look at that maturity wall and say, I want to get my borrowing done before this big maturity wall hits when everyone comes to market. So all the smart CFOs, which they'll all think they are, will start borrowing in 2024. So soon we're going to see companies start coming back to the market to refinance those big uh, borrowings they took out when rates were zero. And they're going to be borrowing at much higher levels and near record percentages of the market are going to need refinancing at these much higher interest rates. So I think I need to make this part one of a two-parter or something like that because uh, I'm going to say to be continued because there's a lot more to talk about. Maybe next week I'll come back to this. In particular, we haven't really discussed financial credit, which is currently the bit of the market that people really like, I think. So generally, financial credit has wider spreads than corporate credit. Um, does, is that rational? Really, um, You know, what, what's that imply? If a, a bank has to borrow a higher number than a corporate, it's not going to be borrowing at a higher number to then lend to that corporate, so that doesn't seem very sustainable for bank spreads to be wider than corporate spreads. But but they are, and this is despite actually things that are quite helpful for banks. So, NIM, net interest margin, um, what it take the, the the rate it's paying on its deposits relative to the rate it's lending money at is pretty wide. You know, it's been. Been um, been rising in a rising interest rate environment. It was difficult for banks when rates were all at zero. Um, it, the perceived wisdom is that raise, rising rate environments is better for banks to re establish this net interest margin. And we saw some really good US bank numbers out recently. So JP Morgan profits just out uh, for Q3, they're up 35%, Citigroup profits also, Wells Fargo. Also up, I think got some more banks reporting um, this week. Have we Bank of America, Goldman Sachs on Tuesday, Morgan Stanley on Wednesday? So, you know, the money center banks, at least so far, that have reported, are reporting good profits. Loan losses haven't yet gone up as people, as people perhaps expected. Um, so maybe uh, we need to talk about banks a little bit more, so we will be back. I hope you've enjoyed part one of this credit special. Have good weeks. Bye.